Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, it is uh, great to be back here at Calvary Church with all of you. I'd like to introduce you to my beard. And, um, uh, but uh, I think vacation is good, and this, is, this was a good one. It gives me perspective, and especially uh, this year, I really realized, I mean, this has been a big year of transition for us, then 2017 to 2018. And uh, I really, uh, just getting perspective and seeing how far we have come in the last year with everything going on and how excited I am to be your rector and to be a part of this parish as we begin to write really the next chapter of the life of the church and, um, and, uh, and continue to stabilize and grow Calvary St. George's. And uh, I'm really excited about this upcoming year and I'm excited about everything uh, going on here in the parish and I'm glad to be your rector. But over the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about the gospel, because over the next couple of weeks, the readings from the gospel are all very carb-related and uh, revolve around eating and bread, and especially Jesus' bread. And so today, I wanted to focus on the miracle that occurs immediately after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on water, and talking a little bit about what that is. This miracle is really flushed out in Mark 6. Um, uh, however, our gospel reading uh, touches on it today. And um, I studied this miracle while I was up in the Catskills, and uh, it really is its profound what's going on here. This is so much more than Jesus simply defying Archimedes' principle on buoyancy or being out into the middle of the, the sea in order to scare the disciples. There are, there's a profound lesson going on here, and I want to break it down into three parts. Uh, the first lesson that Jesus is teaching is uh, who humanity is, like the condition of humanity on its own. And then the second thing is, is that who is Jesus and what has he come to do for humanity. And then the third thing I'm going to talk about is how it relates to us, his disciples today, living in New York City in the 21st century. So as we have just read, Jesus finishes feeding the 5,000. And the crowds are blown away. They've seen him heal the sick and do tons of miracles. And now he feeds 5,000 with a couple of loaves, of, well, five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And they're ready to make him king. And John tells us that he pulls aside and he goes to a mountain. Never forget that Jesus is fully man. So there's a temptation, I think, going on here to listen to the crowds and want to become the king, get the, cro the crown without the cross. But he uh, withdraws to uh, a mountainside. And Mark tells us in this scene that he orders the disciples to get into the boat at about three in the afternoon. Now, when Jesus asks these men to row across the Sea of Galilee at roughly 3 p.m., the disciples who were actually fishermen uh, would have or they should have known better. The fishermen knew that the Sea of Galilee, what happens is that the winds whip up off the Mediterranean and come up over those hills in a very powerful and dramatic way, making it impossible, essentially, to row across at night. And so we see the disciples are in the boat and they're rowing and they're rowing and they're huffing and puffing with, as John writes in our gospel reading today, a strong wind. This strong wind is blowing against them. Nine o'clock at night comes and there they are, they're rowing. Twelve o'clock comes, midnight comes around and they are still rowing. Three in the morning and this little boat is out on the sea and it's being knocked around by the waves and that wind blowing against them is in their face and they are getting nowhere. 
how many of us have been there on our own personal seas of Galilee? It's called life. With, a scripture, with, as the scriptures say, a strong wind blowing against you. And this is my first point. The disciples, these aren't just random guys. The disciples have a strong wind blowing against them. And what we are learning here is that to follow Jesus does not mean freedom from the strong winds. No one is immune to the hard winds of life, which have the power to get us nowhere and submerge our boats. Maybe for you, it's the breakdown of a relationship. Maybe for you, it's a child or a parent who's giving you a really hard time. Maybe for you, it's your job that is just crushing and you hate it. Maybe for you, it's the financial fears that come with living in this city and are you going to make it? And you're always looking at your account and going, what the heck? Whatever it is, whatever it is, the disciples in the boat on the sea represent humanity as it is on its own, overwhelmed and insufficient. So out on the sea comes Jesus. Out on the sea, the Lord of creation, the one who has the power over both the sea and the winds, begins to walk out on that water. And Jesus walking out on that water is not simply some sort of cool trick. You have to understand what the sea was in those days. The sea in ancient times was a scary place. It was a symbol of what was known as the deep, all the way from Genesis chapter 1. It was a symbol of death itself. The ancient people feared the deep. No one just sailed across the Mediterranean. You sailed around the Mediterranean, staying near to the shores. Because the deep was terrifying. So much so that it was idolized by some pagans. They imagined the deep filled with terrifying creatures that would swallow you whole and never spit you up again. Hence, much of the early, as I said, traveled around the coast. But the creatures within the deep, essentially what they were is they were seen almost as the devil incarnate. This brings perspective onto the story of Jonah and how Jesus compares uh, uh, his miracle of the resurrection to the sign of Jonah because the deep and the creatures there within were seen as these, these creatures that would drag you to the depths of death itself. <laughs> Those ancients. I mean, no, we still have a terrifying fear of the sea. It's no different. We mythologize the deep still today. Don't believe me. I mean, how many times can AMC run a Jaws marathon in the summer? You know? I mean, Shark Week is huge. And this, they're predicting this upcoming movie in August, Meg, about a prehistoric dinosaur that eats everything in its path, is going to be a huge blockbuster. I know I'll be first in line, but um, <laughs> the point is, is that we still have a fear of it as well. Because it's mysterious. It's terrifying. And Jesus, therefore, walking out on the water to his disciples upon this water is a foreshadow of what he has come to do. To trample death and darkness. To walk on the back of the Leviathan. To crush that serpent's head. 
put an ordinary person out there, you and I, and we'd sink right to the bottom. But you put the Son of Man out onto the sea. And he doesn't simply float or glide. He walks. Actually, the Greek word is, is that he marches out there. He marches, and in his marching, he is trampling the waves and everything under its feet. For Jesus is the Lord who has all power under heaven and earth. Now apply this to the cross and what's going on here. The same Jesus who strolled out onto the waters of the deep, who stilled the winds, who casts out demons, this same Jesus soon soon, and it's interesting that John connects it to the Passover at the beginning of our reading, but this same Jesus would hang dead and helpless and lifeless on a cross to do what he has come to do, to conquer darkness, to conquer death, to destroy the deep. Jesus has come, and by the power of his Holy Spirit, through that gospel proclaimed, has come to calm the heavy winds that blow against you in your life. All with his solitary death upon the cross for you and for me and for the whole world. So this is my second point. In this moment, Jesus gives his disciples a 3 a.m. glimpse. He gives his disciples and all of us a 3 a.m. lesson of his divine power and then buries it deeply under his dark death in a 3 p.m. crucifixion on a hill on a place called Calvary. This is how salvation is done. In hidden strength, in divine and profound weakness, the Lord uses death to accomplish life. He exerts strength in weakness. He overcomes death with his death. He overcomes sin by becoming sin. He overcomes the curse by becoming a curse. His damnation is your salvation. And never forget, his cross is your life. What Jesus is doing here is he is training his disciples. He's training his apostles one step at a time. Because in the boat on the sea, what he is teaching is that without him, no amount of their rowing would matter against the headwinds of culture and religion. No amount of rowing in this world would enable them to overcome the opposition and persecution that they're about to face. No matter how strong they might have been, no matter how knowledgeable they may think they were of the ways of the sea, without him, and the same is true with us. Without him, you can do nothing. It's interesting that he lands first on the shore in order to convey and articulate that he is still leading the way. And we'll read this. You read this in the book of Acts. He would send them as his apostles, his church, as his ministers. He'd send them out onto the sea of death and despair. He would send them into the darkness, into the strong headwinds of Roman opposition and religious opposition. And he would come to them through, uns though unseen, by the power of his Holy Spirit, he would be with them until the close of the age. And this is what the church is when it preaches the gospel. 
This is why we call this the nave. It's a reminder that this is the place when the gospel is preached, is the ark of salvation, a a flood of destruction. And even though sometimes our numbers may seem few, even when their numbers seem few, Jesus continues to come to us through his word preached. He continues to come to us on the back treading devil and the death to bring his peace and calm to the storms of our lives. And it's the same today. Never changes. We just finished general convention and churches are always asking, how can we be more relevant? How can we be more accessible? And that's the wrong question. What keeps the church afloat, what gives the church its power, is not the power of the world. It's not its influence. It's never been its intelligence or its relevance or ability to negotiate the shifting winds of public opinion. What keeps the church afloat is the presence of her Lord in word and sacrament, the preaching of Jesus, the body and the blood, the waters of baptism where promises are given to you that will see you through the storms of life. And this is my third point. In baptism, Jesus comes to you by way of water, bringing calm to your chaos, bringing peace. And there he places you into the ark of his church. And though he may seem absent at times in your lives, and you may feel alone, and you may feel like you're struggling, and you're pulling your oars against the hard winds of life, and they're just way too strong for you, he continues to come to you. He continues to come to you in the deepest of darkness. He continues to come to you at the last watch of night. And he continues to come to you just before the break of day. And he continues to come to you to meet you just there, where you're at your weakest, where you're overwhelmed by sin and the death. And he comes to you, and he gets into your boat called life, and he says the same thing that he said to his first disciples. Take heart. It is I. Do not fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.